verses down. So in Joshua chapter 24, um, let, let's just look at 23 for a minute. What's happening is it's coming to the end of Joshua's life. And so Joshua, who was the aide to Moses, who was leading him out of Egypt and into the promised land, who needed to be encouraged himself that be strong, you're about ready to lead these people into the promised land. Now it's coming to the end of his life. He gathers all the leaders, calls them before him, and now he starts to encourage them. So in verse 6 of chapter 23, this is Joshua telling his leaders, be very strong. Sounds familiar. <laughs> be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Down in verse 9, he says, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord, your God, fights for you. Like Pastor Denny said, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because the Lord fights for us. He goes on to say, just as he promised, just as he promised, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. And then down in 14, he says, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled not one has failed. He's trying to encourage them and strengthen them. You can trust God. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. You can trust God. Not one of those promises failed. And then he goes into chapter 24 and he begins to recount to them their history. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that. Don't ever forget where you came from. Now, not in the, oh, I'm a worm, I'm lowly, I, I'm horrible, I'm a sinner, I'll always be a sinner. Not like that. Just don't forget where you came from so that you can have compassion and mercy on those that you're speaking to and, and you're holding their hand and, and bringing them to the Lord. So don't forget where you came from. And he said, hey, remember, here it is. You came, uh, God pulled you out of Egypt delivered you, fought for you, gave you the promised land. And then he goes down into verse 14 of chapter 24. And he says, now, now that you've been strengthened, now that you remember that you can trust God, he never fails you. You remember where you came from. God said he's given you the promised land. He gave you the promised land. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers' worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of, well, those people in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. So my question for you today is, what or who are you worshiping in your house? Look with me over in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. In this chapter, Jesus lays out three parables, three stories relating to the kingdom of heaven. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. And I want us to focus on and look this morning at the parable of the lost coin. In verse 8 it says, Or suppose a woman who has ten silver coins, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, 
sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I've used that story, preached that story. I've heard other preachers preach. And there's absolutely, that's, that's correct, that this is talking about in the sheepfold, that if one goes astray, that you go after the one. And then if you bring that one back, if a sinner comes back, you know, all heaven rejoices that one is saved, one is found. But I want you to look a little bit deeper. I want to propose to you that this coin represents the kingdom of heaven. And in her house, she had the kingdom of heaven in there, that coin. But she couldn't find it. It was lost among all the clutter she allowed to accumulate in her life, in her house. Until one day she goes, Hey! Where is that in my life? Where is that coin? And starts cleaning house. Removing the clutter. And then she finds it. Then all her friends, she calls all of her friends and she rejoices. So let me ask you, are there things in your life that's cluttering the kingdom of heaven from being seen in your house? Your house or your household? I mean, I've sat beside people who, uh, sinners and let's just say, or like, and then let's just say, um, those that thought themselves a little better then, start preaching, witnessing, like we're supposed to. And I've heard multiple times the sinners turn and say, your life looks the same as my life. What do you think you have that's different than what I have? You see, when we allow so much clutter to come into our life, people can't see the kingdom of heaven. We have to clean house. She looked and tender. It said that she lit a lamp. Number one, must have been dark in there. She lit a lamp. She swept the house. She got rid of all the clutter. And then she searched. What did it say? Intently. Carefully. She searched carefully until she found it. I heard a prophecy over one of the um, messages I was listening to. And the word was, there are times in our lives when we are so concerned with our condition, with the things in our life, with our clutter, that we lose sight of our position. We lose sight of the kingdom. And it's focusing on that position, it's focusing on that kingdom that takes care of our condition. I just rewatched that movie, The Shack. And I'm not saying that the whole movie is completely biblical. I'm not saying that. But as you can see in the commercial I showed you, we can see God in it, about everything. If that's what we want to see, that's what we'll see. And so commercials, can I can go, oh, that is such a biblical truth. Now, I didn't look up State Farm in my concordance and find that commercial for you. Just like that movie, The Shack, there's some things that I kind of go, eh, I'll strain that one out, I'll strain that one out, but that's a good truth right there. And in that movie, it's a part where this man, the, the main character, is uh, overwhelmed, let's just say this, overwhelmed with unforgiveness, hurt, pain. I mean, it, it's just consumed him. And when he goes to this shack to meet God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, at one scene, he's in a boat in the lake, and all he can see is that pain, 
that unforgiveness and it's actually drowning, it's sinking his boat. And Jesus is standing beside the boat saying, look at me, look at me. You can't see me if you're staring and focusing on your pain. You see, you can't see the kingdom of heaven in your life if it's full of clutter. If your house is full of clutter, if you've got so much going on inside of you or you want to partake of, you want to do this and do that and do everything else that you've set aside the kingdom of heaven. Oh, I'm still a Christian. I just kind of set it aside. What happened in her house? It was dark. It's full of clutter. She lost sight of that coin. Two primary objectives that the enemy has. And his mission is to get us to basically turn our nose up to God. I don't know why. We don't need to know all the details why he thinks. I mean, obviously, he knows the word. He knows at the end he, where he's going to go. I don't know if he thinks that God will relent if he gets so many on his side. You know, I, But, you know, they know. The Bible says the demons know the scripture and shudder. They know God. They know the word. But he's got two primary objectives in his life, and you should be keenly aware of these. When we know the enemy, we can be prudent and foresee danger and take accommodations to get around it. Or, oh, yeah, that's the enemy. I recognize that. His two primary objectives, the first one is to get you to doubt the word of God. In the Garden of Eden, that was it. Did God really say that? You've heard it. Come on, you've heard it in your own head. You'll hear a great message and, or whatever, you know, tithing that, you know, give your first fruits and honor God with your first fruits and your best. And all of a sudden you hear this voice in your head. Did God really say that? He don't mean that now. Well, he might have meant that years ago, but now we can just tip God. If, if we had a good week, then we can just throw some money in the offering and say, thank you, God, for giving me a good week. But if I got some bad things coming up or some bills coming up, well, he knows he didn't really say I need to honor him with all my first fruits. Did God really say that? And the second objective is to get you to question your authority, your authority in God, your position with God. He did that with Jesus. Remember when Jesus went off, 40 days, says that Satan came to him and tempted him. What was the first thing he said? If you really are the son of God. His objective is to get you to question your authority. See, when we listen to the, did God really say that? And you're like, yes, right. God don't want me to give those things up. He wants me to have fun. You know, life to the fullest includes doing whatever I want to do and enjoying everything I want to do. So no, God doesn't really say that. And then stuff starts happening in your life. And then all of a sudden the enemy comes and starts whispering to you. See, I told you God didn't say that. He don't care about you. He won't take care of you. You can't trust him. You're not really a Christian. I know what you did last night. It's two primary objectives. To get you to doubt the word of God and get you to question your authority, your position in God. When you start questioning, when you start doubting, clutter will overflow into your house. You won't be able to hold it back. It's like a, a breached dam. It just kind of floods in there and you're like, what happened? You feel like you're being carried away by this turmoil and that turmoil and, and you have no control. No, you don't. Because you lost sight of the coin. You lost sight of the kingdom. You allowed so much clutter to come in that it overtakes you. In Luke chapter 11, just go back just a couple chapters. In Luke chapter 11, 
Red letters here, so Jesus is saying that. And starting in verse 33, he said, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When you ask Jesus into your life, he lights up your life. He is the light within you. It's like the lady with the coin. She lit a lamp. It lit up her entire house. He said he doesn't put it in a place where it be hidden. He doesn't put it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand. Do you know that every one of you were created with a place for God to sit? in your life. The throne of your heart, the center of your being. See, in our culture, it's the heart. The heart is the center. In some cultures, it's the bowels. Aren't you glad I'm not saying in the depths of your bowels, God wants to sit upon his throne? No. But there is a place God creates. I mean, I've heard it preached. I've preached it too, that there is a God-shaped hole in every one of us. When God created us, he created us with like a whole puzzle piece is, is, is what we are, this majestic picture with one piece missing. And that shape can only be filled by God. Same thing here. He set a place in your heart, on your heart, in your heart, with a throne that only he can set upon. See, when we light the lamp, when we ask Jesus, God, into our life, we push aside. Oh, here's the throne, God, set here. Sets on its stand. That light sets on its stand so that, so that, he's just told you why. Or he just told you the, now he's going to tell you the why. This is the fact. This is why it's happening. So that those who come in may see the light. There it is. When you have Jesus sitting on the throne of your heart, not the clutter, not hiding his light over in the corner or under a bowl, when you set him on the throne of your heart, people can see that light. I've told you before, I was walking down the streets of the town I grew up in when people started just calling out, hey, Brenda, come here. There's something different about you. Not because I was out there wearing a sandwich board that says repent or you'll burn, you know. I wasn't wearing that, you know, I, I hope this guy isn't back at Cherry Festival, always wears a sandwich board that says God hates sinners. But when you have Jesus placed on the throne of your heart, the light, the center of its stand, people see that in your life and they'll call out, what is it about you? What is it about you? Listen, he goes on to say, your eye is the lamp of your body. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body is full of darkness. What comes into your heart first comes in through your eyes. You see something, you desire it, you want it, that looks fun. So-and-so's getting away with it. Looks like everything's fine in their life. I guess I can do this. Comes in through your eyes. But when they are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So, oh, sorry, it says, see to it then. See to it, because you know it's going to come in. If your eyes stay good, your body will stay good. Nothing will darken that light in your life. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Don't look at anything you're not supposed to be looking at. Don't desire something that you shouldn't be desiring. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted. I didn't even know that was a word. I like that. I'm going to use that more. Your whole body will be lighted by what? By what you allow to come into your house. He says, and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. 
when God's light shined, lighted on you, you realized God was present. Same thing when you have God's light in you, setting on its stand where it's supposed to be. People look at you, not because you're just so glorious, CJ, and they just want to be drawn to you, but because they see God's light in you. And they're drawn to you so that just like the light came on you, it will come on others. Guarded. Guarding your eyes. Says they're the lamp of your body. What are you allowing to come into your house through what you're looking at? At the end of the message, I'm going to give you an opportunity, just like this woman, to make a, a resolution, determination, that you are going to guard that commitment that you've made with Christ and with the Holy Spirit's help to remove the clutter from your life so that he sits on the throne of your heart again, or maybe for the first time. But you'll have opportunity at the end of this message. And let, let's just be honest with ourselves today. God already knows. He sees the clutter in your life, in my life, in our hearts, in our households. He already sees it. You can't hide it from him. The person we need to be honest with is ourselves. So my question again, what or who are you worshiping in your house? Let me help you. Once you make that commitment to, to sweep away the clutter, to put Christ back on the center, to keep change your paradigm, your focus, so that you're searching hard after Christ's kingdom. The coin is within your focus again. That you make Christ the gatekeeper of your house. So that nothing comes in that you haven't taken before God and said, is this good for me? Or maybe it's good, it's okay, but you hear God saying, you know what, that's not the best thing for you right now. And if you bring it into your house, it's going to start collecting clutter. Because those things like uh, mold continues to grow. You let one little thing in your life, and next thing you know, you turn around and there's 10 or 20 of them, kind of like cockroaches, you know? They just keep multiplying. You don't know. I thought I only brought... I just, what? I just watched that one thing and now it's like, you know, every night it's going through my mind and I'm dreaming about it and now I'm seeing those things wherever I go. Well, because you let that one in. But I'm asking you to make Christ the gate to your house, your house here and your household so that you actually bring those things before him. You know, does... Is this the best for me? Because as a parent, remember, God says, I'm your heavenly father. As a parent, don't we do that with our kids? The whole trust me? No, no, I'd rather, don't do that. Well, why not? Uh, trust me. Come on, we've, we've all, either we've heard that or we've said that, or hopefully both of them happen. But there's a protection. There is a safety net. There is, when you allow, when you get that stuff out and you allow Christ to be the gatekeeper, you are within your house, your household in protection. Now you have freedom. And see, most people say, oh, as a Christian, you have no freedom because you have to ask permission to do this, permission, and I'm free. I don't have to serve God. I'm free. Really? You are. Let me ask you, if you're saved here today, you know that. Do you feel more free today or more free before you met Christ? Today. Don't you? Can you, can you verbalize it? Can you really understand it? Most of the times, no. I can't. Maybe you can. I can't. Because I was once outside the sheepfold. So in my logical mind, I think that was freedom. 
But it wasn't until I entered in through the gate, asked Jesus Christ in, to be my Lord and Savior, that it, within this sheepfold, this pen, this, I found freedom. I don't know. I can't explain it. Well, there was a study done on playgrounds that there was this group of people who was opposing these fences that were around all these playgrounds, stating that they were impeding their children from free play. They need to take down all the fences. So, experts set up researches around these different playgrounds, ones with fences and ones without fences. And they concluded that the kids who were on playgrounds with no fences huddled toward the center of the playground and were less active. But those inside the fences ran free with an, what seemed to be an unhindered excitement. You see, the structure of authority protects us, gives us comfort and security to live free. When you set up Christ as the gatekeeper of your home, he will not only protect what you want to bring in that might not be beneficial to your life, but keeps other things from coming in that will try to attack you. As a matter of fact, in uh, John chapter 10, Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, he says again. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And there's that word that Pastor Denny alluded to, sozo. He didn't allude to it, he stated it. All who come in through that gate will be sozoed, completely saved. Emotionally, physically, spiritually he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Christ, as the gatekeeper, keeps you safe, protects you under his authority. That's where true freedom is. 1 Peter 2 24 and 25 says, He himself, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Listen, he bore on his body all, all that we need so that we might which means that's an action on our part. It's our decision. You can live, die to all sins, free from all sins and live righteously. Because again, we don't fight for this. We fight from this victory. We don't fight for the victory over sin. It's already been purchased. So we can live from the victory he goes on to say, by his wounds you have, have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You once was outside the sheepfold, but now you've come back in through the gate. And Christ will stand at the gate, if you want him to, again, he is a gentleman. It's not that he's making us. It's a, you might, you can, you have the option to. It's up to you. Again, what or who are you worshiping or allowing in your house? And then what are you worshiping? That's telling you what you're allowing. If you've cluttered out Christ's kingdom in your life, are you, can you really say you're worshiping God? 
living for God? I threw this in here because in same as knowing what the two primary objectives to the enemy is so that you can be aware of and be watchful and mindful of those things. So when he does start to attack you on that, did God really say this? You can go, yes, he did. Talk back to the devil. Talk back to those stupid thoughts that you have. And that's another thing I encourage first service is if you start thinking things in your mind that you, well, uh, yeah, speak it out loud and then see, does it line up with the word of God? The only power that Satan had in the garden was his mouth. The only power Satan still has on this earth is his mouth. And if he can speak into your ear a lie and get you to believe it, then you empower, you turn over authority to him. You empower that liar in your life. That's the only way he can take away your authority as a believer in Christ is if you hand it over to him by listening and believing the lie. I did that whole study on a fast according to Isaiah 58, 56, 58. God's still healing my mind from all those drugs. Anyway, memory's coming back. Ginkgo globin is what I need. Isn't that what it's called? No, no. I need God. Anyway, healing, yes. Anyway, now that ADD just took over. There's a mouse. There's, no. um, yeah, healing. The authority that we hand over to the enemy can't be ripped out of our hands. Can't be. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the only way he can come to steal is if we turn toward him and listen to him. We empower him and we hand over. So the study I did on the fast in Isaiah 58 that whole, what, why do we fast? To loose the chains of injustice. The chains of injustice, when you do a study on that, it, it talks about injustice means you don't know what your authority is and you become chained. We talked about this, I don't know if it was, oh, I think it was just family, we were just sitting around. That, we don't understand. If Christians understood kingdomship, like back in the old world, where there was a king, and if he said, this is it, you just did it. If you came into his presence, or he called you into his presence, and said, I want you to do this, you don't stand there and say, I don't feel like it. Right? Off with his head, you know? But because we don't understand how kingdomship works, we feel like being um, in Christ's kingdom, that that means that we can do whatever we want to do. And that he just blesses us in all of the things that we want to do. Again, because we're believing something that doesn't line up with the scripture. He's casting doubt into, did God really say that? See, when we speak those things out loud, we understand, wait a minute, I'm not subject to the sin. The sin is subject to me because of the authority that Christ purchased and then gave me. Amen. I'm not a pawn in the devil's play yard. He can't tell me what I'm going to do or not do. I have authority because Christ gave that to me. You understand that you, he only has authority when you turn to him and give it to him. Because you believe the lie. Anyway. But doubt leads to disobedience. I wrote this down. Doubt leads to disobedience. And disobedience disrespects your authority. So as I was just laying out the picture, you come into the king's presence. And he asks you to do something. And you say, well... I don't think I have to do that. I don't want to do that. Doubt leads, leads to disobedience. 
that's disrespectful. Now you say, oh, how can disobedience be disrespectful? Let me ask you, when your kids don't do what you say, what's the first thing you think about? They're disrespecting me. I told you to do this. Have you ever got the kids ask you why? Why do I have to do that? Why do that? What do you say back? Because I said so. That's why. That's it. End of discussion, period. That's it. But see, in today's culture, they call these, I think, the free-range children. We're raising our kids to experience life on their own, and they can make up their own mind, and they decide, and they'll learn on their own. That's hogwash. That is straight from the pits of hell. Let me tell you, God set up authority for a reason, for this protection that we read about. So you can live free. Your children live free in your home. You keep them protected because of your authority. So if you relinquish that authority and give it to your children and your children are now running your household, what are you teaching them? And they will only listen to you if you explain everything to them and why. And then they'll even negotiate on, well, really, do I have to do that? Why don't you do this and I'll do this? What's that teaching them when they get out in the real world? And they go to their boss and their boss says, Jacob, go wash the pots and pans in the washroom. And Jacob goes, why? You're fired. Amen. That's exactly what that boss would say. You know what? You don't have to do it, but you don't have to work here anymore either. Goodbye. Right? Do you think your boss is going to walk around? Have you ever experienced a boss walking around telling everybody that works for him exactly why they're building this one little part? Why am I standing on the line, right? And GM, that one little part, one little, mm, 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 mm. What if you stood there and said, I, don't, I can't do this job until you explain to me how it fits in the whole car. Yeah, see you, goodbye. What are you teaching your kids? If you don't teach them authority, then in the job place, they're going to be crashing and burning. And also in the Christian world, think about this. If you're not teaching your children to just trust me, believe that I have the best intention for you in mind. Trust me when I say do this or do that. Then when God, when they get older in life and God tells them I need you or do this or do that and they say why? Where are they going to go with God? Where are they going to go in their Christian life? If they won't move unless they can get all their questions answered. I'm sorry, do you have all your questions answered in God? I don't. That, but that doesn't give me a, a reason to disobey God. There's no excuse. When the king calls the servant in and says, go do this. And the servant says, why? And he says, because I said so. Do you think the king's going to walk down there and pat him on the back? Well done, good and faithful servant, since you don't want to do what I ask. Just go off and do what you want. It. Yeah, see? When we start speaking these things out, the truth wins. Lies hide in the darkness. But they're exposed in the light. When you speak these doubts out Loud truth wins. Mm, authority does not negotiate. If you're negotiating with your children, what are you teaching them about authority? Chris Valentin, I'm wrapping up right now. Denny, if you'd come. Chris Valentin said, um, in the vein of honor and respecting your authority, because we're all under authority, are we not? We are all under authority. We have our bosses, we have parents, even when we're out of their household, we still respect them by listening to them, right? Okay, I was gonna, listening for an amen over in that section. But Chris Valentin said, if you are consistently complaining about leadership, about authority, the president, your boss, the pastor, whoever. Don't be surprised when your children 
don't respect or honor you. Because what you're modeling to them is it's okay to disrespect authority. I don't agree with him. I don't like him. He made a stupid decision. Forget it. This is awful. Boy, if I was in charge. And your kids are looking at you and thinking, well, he is in charge. So if that's how he acts or she acts. So then you're yelling at them. Why don't you respect me? Why don't you do what I say? What are you modeling to them? What's the old saying? Monkey see? Monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do. They do. We have to, we have to model that authority. And it's not in a restraining environment. I don't know how else to communicate this. We can't experience true freedom until we surrender to our authority. God as our heavenly authority. So let's be honest with ourselves today and ask, what or who are you worshiping? Or what have you allowed in your house that has filled your house with clutter and has pushed aside that lamp of God in your life? That's how I want to close today. I want you to just search. Again, being honest with yourself is what I'm asking because God already sees all. He knows all. As a matter of fact, he might have been poking at your heart this entire message saying, uh, I've been telling you this. I've been telling you this. Too much clutter in your life. You're crowding me out. It's time to clean house today. And you don't have to do this alone. I mean, I remember saying this when I was a teenager and I was doing my own thing. I knew I grew up in the church, but then I went off and did my own thing and people would try to witness to me. My, my go-to statement was, when I, when I get a little older, I'll clean up my life and then I'll come back to God. That's a lie. You can't get your life right without God or Jesus didn't need to die. It's impossible. So if you think whatever you're going through, whatever thing that you, it's been on your mind and in your heart through this entire message that I've got to get rid of that or those things, if it's more than, you can't do on your own. When you try to do it on your own, it's a slap in the face of God that I don't need you, God. I can take care of this myself. Boy, when we say that out loud, it's like, I, Brenda, I never said that. But you're doing it. When you try to do this on your own, you're saying to God, I don't need you. You want the light in your life, but you'll, you'll control where he gets placed in your household. It's okay, we'll bring, actually we'll move the stuff off the table and set them on the center of the table once a week. And make that our holy day when we come to church. And the rest of the week, well, we, we're busy and we got things going, so we're just going to take this light and we're going to set it over here on this bookshelf. And, well, we got other things we need to focus on throughout the week. Clutter. See, to make Jesus the king of your life, the king of your heart, to sit on the throne of your heart, it's not a part-time position. It's full time or it's no time. He said, I'm either for you or not. You're either for me or you're against me. We're either doing this together or we're not. There's no, did you, have you ever read in there where there's a part-time Jesus position? No. You're all in or you're all out. If we're talking about that sheepfold, that gate, the inside, Jesus Christ being the gate, we either come in or we stay out. So let me ask you, with your, your, actually, could you just stand up? We've been sitting a while. Just stand up, close your eyes, 
and just focus on God right now. God, is there something in my life that you're pointing out to me that's been cluttering my life and like cockroaches, they begin to multiply in my life, clutter upon clutter upon clutter, and I'm crowding you out, and I've actually even pushed you to some point right off the throne of my heart. God, we cry out to you today by the power of your Holy Spirit to give us the strength and the power, your strength, your power to clear away this clutter, to confess what we need to confess. Lord, forgive us in these areas where we've crowded you out. Where we thought that we were just kind of like these free-range children. We can go off and do whatever we want and you have to bow to us and what we want. God, forgive us for that, that lie that we've been living, God. So if, if God's, if there's something that God's been putting his finger on in your life, I want you to come up front. And as you come up front, we've got altar workers that are coming up front that need to get, that will agree with you and pray with you that the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you today and you will have the power through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to remove the clutter once and for all. You are not a victim of Satan. You are not a captive of his if you are a child of God. You are a child of God. And you don't have to fight for your victory. You can fight from God's victory in your life. So what I want you to do is just come up front. Come on, no condemnation. There's no judgment here. We're all, we're all needing something something emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever it is. We want to pray. We want to agree with you. So just start praying with those that are coming up front today. And if you're here and you're you've got no clutter in your life, there's nothing going wrong. You don't need any prayer for that. You've cleaned house. You know your, your life is, is right. Um, I need your prayer today. I want you to come up here. I need your prayer. We need to believe. We need to agree together. Tuesday is the parade in Beulah. And we'll be pulling the float with the worship team. And the kids will be walking with mega sports camp banners and, and stuff. And we want the atmosphere to change in Benzie County Tuesday. We want that to be a mark in history, to never be the same again. I want us to agree in prayer in these last few minutes before you leave today, that as we step foot on the streets, the downtown street in Beulah, that because we are ambassadors of God's kingdom, that as we step foot on that street, that the atmosphere will change. And people will begin to cry out, confessing their sins, being healed immediately without anybody even touching them or saying anything to them. Because the atmosphere of heaven is there. That the atmosphere has shifted from darkness to light. I need your prayer today that that takes place. That that takes place. So please spend some time right now. Come up to the altar and cry out for us. Wednesday night, if you weren't here for the prayer meeting, you missed it. God spoke a word for us that we know was telling us exactly what's over this area, what's over this church, is a spirit of, well, was, was a spirit of forebodance. Forebodance being a fear of something bad happening. And so they, they hoard, they draw back, they, they huddle in that, you know, I'm not going to have enough. That scarcity mindset. But on Wednesday night, we prayed that that spirit is broken. It's, its assignment is canceled. So when we go downtown Beulah on Tuesday, we need to step in the authority. Step out in that authority. Step in that victory that 
Like he said to Joshua, God's already fought for you. He's already went before you. We need to just step in that. And I want to see the atmosphere change over Beulah, over Benzie County. I was told that there... That the population of Benzie County is 16,000 with the last uh, census that was done. Those that consider themselves unchurched in Benzie County is 14,600. God's went before us. We just need to start walking in it. So God, right now, we just agree together, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you'll empower us to be able to walk in, walk in your authority, walk in your kingdom, walk in your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everywhere we place our feet, you said in your word that you've given to us as your ambassadors of your kingdom. God, help us split the atmosphere. Actually, turn it back around again. You created it as a kingdom, as your kingdom, your place. This earth is yours. You ask us to reclaim it again for you. And so we do that in Jesus' name. Help us to walk in that authority and see the atmosphere. Turn back over again to your kingdomship. Lord, and we'll, we'll tell testimonies of people getting healed because we walked by them. Not because of who we are, but whose we are. God, we just believe now they'll be drawn to us that light that we're making now, this declaration to remove all the clutter and place you on the throne of our heart, that they'll be drawn to that light in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs>